Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Hey friends, today I'm going to ask for your grace because I got to do something today that I don't do very often, which is just dive in and start reading without having pre- made some comments so it goes a little more smoothly. Today, we're, we've got Matthew chapter 11. Then I'm going to read a psalm for our wisdom segment that kind of fits this pivotal time in the book of Ezekiel. I do have one little comment about diving into Ezekiel, and then it's going to be a whole bunch of some interesting stuff. Sit tight. John. John. <laughs> See, that's what we do. We keep it real here because that's what we do in life, right? You don't need a whitewashed, photoshopped life, because that's not real. John the Baptist doubts is the header in my Bible. <laughs> Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now when John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent him a message through his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, pause. I'll probably regret this, but remember, John was like the fulfillment of the promised Elijah forebearer, right? Announcing that Jesus, this is the Messiah. And here he is in prison having doubt. If you've ever had doubt, it's okay. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were. Oh man, it's going to be a long day if I get an emotional now. What did Jesus do? He pointed to the evidence. He could have just said, I am. He pointed to the evidence which we have captured as a historical reality in the words that we're reading right now. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? No, what, did, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who hears listen. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children saying, singing, we, we played a flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. 
For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? No, you'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained here until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11. Hey, it wasn't very many days ago that we just got done reading several chapters of Ezekiel talking about what? Judgment on Tyre. Right? Remember the passage when we were when there was even this allusion probable allusion to Satan as the king of Tyre. It's really important, friends, to read our Old Testaments. That said, we're at this kind of pivotal part of the book of Ezekiel, where for the remainder of the book, chapters 40 through 48, is some of that kind of boring description of, frankly, the temple and that. And there are some nuggets to draw out, but I'm gonna, and I'm going to encourage you to hang with me because it's all symbolic and literal both. It points forward to heaven and the book of Revelation and a bunch of stuff. But before we get there, and I'm going to give you permission to check out if you need to, let me read Psalm 87. Psalm 87 is, is a psalm of the sons of Korah, and it's a song that it really speaks to God's ultimate purpose to bring even Gentiles into the kingdom. This is important. Here we go. The city he founded is on the holy mountain. The Lord loves Zion's city gates more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said about you, city of God. Silah. I will make a record of those who know me, Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. Each one was born there, and it will be said of Zion, 
this one and that one were born in her. The Most High himself will establish her. When he registers the peoples, the Lord will record, This one was born there. Selah. Singers and dancers alike will say, My whole source of joy is in you. Psalm 87. Did you catch that? Yo, uh, people in Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush... People are going to say of you, basically, yeah, it was like you were born in Jerusalem. Mm. My friends, we miss some of that stuff when we don't read the Old Testament. We miss a lot of that stuff if we don't read the Old Testament. That said, chapters 40 through 48, this comes from the NIV Study Bible, D.A. Carson. This Uh, This next number of chapters is a vision of restored worship in this new temple city. Hence, the reason this really touches down in the end of the book of Revelation as well. And it describes worship in terms of that would be familiar to the Judahite. And we don't have to think of this literally, but the worship that unfolds through the rebuilt kind of quote unquote temple city envisions a relationship with God, one even better than past experiences. Right? This would have encouraged the immediate audience, the exiles, to have hope in the character and promises of God for an even better future. But for you and me, my friends, it points to the covenantal promises of God realized in Jesus. All through stuff describing how a temple gets built. You with me? That's why we sit at the feet of Jesus and read every single word. And if you're new here, know this. Sometimes I will put myself on one and a half times speed. Because, well, that's what we do when we skim stuff, right? Ezekiel chapter 40. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, and in the 14th year after Jerusalem had been captured, on that very day the Lord's hand was on me, and he brought me there. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. On its southern slope was a structure resembling a city, and he brought me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. He was standing by the city gate, and he spoke to me, Son of man, look with your eyes, listen with your ears, and pay attention to everything I am going to show you, for you have been brought here so that I might show it to you. Report everything you see to the house of Israel." Now, there was a wall surrounding the outside of the temple. The measuring rod in the man's hand was six units of 21 inches. Each unit was a standard length plus three inches. He measured the thickness of the wall structure, and it was ten and a half feet, and its height was the same. Then he came to the gate that faced east and climbed its steps. He measured the threshold of the gate, and it was ten and a half feet deep. One threshold was ten and a half feet deep, and each recess was ten and a half feet long and ten and a half feet deep, and there was a space of eight and three quarters feet in the recesses. The inner threshold of the gate on the temple side next to the gate's portico was ten and a half feet. Next, he measured the gate's portico, and it was fourteen feet, and its jams were three and a half feet, and the gate's portico was on the temple side. There were three recesses on each side of the east gate, each with the same measurements and the jams on either side also had the same measurements. Then he measured the width of the gate's entrance. It was 17 and a half feet, while the width of the gate was 22 and three quarters feet. 
There was a barrier of 21 inches in front of the recesses on both sides, and the recesses on each side were 10 and a half feet square. And then he measured the gate from the roof of one recess to the roof of the opposite one, and the distance was 43 and three quarters feet. The openings of the recesses faced each other, and next he measured the porch, 105 feet. And the distance from the front of the gate at the entrance of the front of the gate's portico on the inside was 87 and a half feet. The recesses and their jams had beveled windows all around on the inside of the gate, and the porticos also had windows around the on the inside. Each jam was decorated with palm trees. Then he brought me into the outer court, and there were chambers and a paved surface laid out all around the court. Thirty chambers faced the pavement, which flanked the courtyard's gates and corresponded to the length of the gates. This was the lower pavement. When he measured the distance from the front of the lower gate to the exterior front of the inner court, it was 775 feet. This was the east. Next, the north is described. He measured the gate on the outer court facing north, both its length and its width, its recesses and on its each side, its jams and its porticos had the same measurements as the first gate, 87 and a half feet long, 43 and three quarters feet wide. Its windows, portico, and palm trees had the same measurements as those that faced east. Seven steps led to the gate, and its portico was ahead of them. The inner court had a gate facing the north gate, like the one on the east. He measured the distance from gate to gate, and it was 175 feet. I'm going to pause and just say this, mostly just to break things up. When I do this, I'm looking for something that kind of breaks up that monotonous pattern, right? Oh, description, 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 description. Oh, bam, there's a little something. So if you're new here, that's what I do, right? So I'm not reading for this for deep understanding here, just like we don't when we're skimming over stuff when we do a Bible read through. So that's how we roll here, but we still knock down the whole thing. He brought me to the south side, and there was also a gate on the south, and he measured its jams and portico. They had the same measurements as the others. Both the gate and its portico had windows all around, like the other windows, and it was 87 and a half feet long and 43 and three quarters feet wide. Its stairway had seven steps, and its portico was ahead of them. It had palm trees on its jams, one on each side, and the inner court had a gate on the south. He measured it from gate to gate on the south. It was 175 feet. The inner gates. Then he brought me to the inner court through the south gate. And when he measured the south gate, it had the same measurements as the others. Its recesses, jams, and porticos had the same measurements as the others. Both it and its portico and windows all around, 87 and a half feet long, 43 and three quarters feet wide. And its portico faced the outer court and its jams were decorated with palm trees and its stairway had eight steps. Then he brought me to the inner court on the east side. And when he measured the gate, it had the same measurements as the others. Skim ahead just a smidge, same exact measurements. Rooms for preparing sacrifices. There was a chamber whose door opened into the gate's portico. The gate, the burnt offering was to be washed there. Inside the gate's portico, there were two tables on each side on which to slaughter the burnt offering, sin offering, and guilt offering. Outside, as one approaches the entrance of the north gate, there were two tables on one side and two more tables on the other side of the gate's portico. So there were four tables inside the gate and four outside, eight tables in all on which the slaughtering was to be done. There were also four tables of cut stone for the burnt offering, each 31 and a half inches long, 31 and a half inches wide and 21 inches high. The utensils used for the slaughter to slaughter the burnt offerings and the other sacrifices were placed on them. And there were three inch hooks fastened all around the inside of the room and the flesh of the offering was to be laid on the tables. 
rooms for singers and priests. I knew you were waiting for that part. Outside the inner gate, within the inner court, there were chambers for the singers, one beside the north gate facing south, another beside the south gate facing north. And then the man said to me, This chamber that faces south is for the priests who keep charge of the temple. The chamber that faces north is for the priests who keep the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, the ones from the sons of Levi who may approach the Lord to serve him. I will pause. There is an important line. I'm not going to go into it deeply, but you remember that the the, the history of all of that temple stuff and weird stuff back in the Pentateuch, importantly, speaks to to cleanness and uncleanness and who is and isn't authorized to be there. And if we were to project ahead, that's part of why we think uh, it's important that, say, like Peter references the Old Testament by referring to us as a priesthood of believers, right? In a new covenant sort of sense, the question isn't, do I belong here? In a way, it's like, wait a minute, yes, only some people belong here. And my friend, if you follow Jesus, it's you. Okay, you with me? Next, he measured, I know, here's more of the good stuff. Next, he measured the court and it was square, 175 feet long and wide. And the altar was in front of the temple. Then he brought me to the portico of the temple and measured the jams of the portico. They were eight and three quarters feet thick on each side and the width of the gate was 24 and a half feet. The side walls of the gate were five and a quarter feet wide on each side and the portico was 35 feet across and 25 feet deep and had 10 steps that led up to it. There were pillars by the jams, one on each side. Next, he brought me to the into the great hall and measured the jams on one on each side. Um, the width of the jam was 10 and a half feet. The width of the entrance was 17 and a half feet. The side walls were eight and three quarters feet wide on each side. And he also measured the length of the great hall, 70 feet and the width, 35 feet. And he went inside the next room and measured the jams at the entrance. And they were three and a half feet wide. The entrance was 10 and a half feet. And the width of the entrance side walls on each side was 12 and a quarter feet. And then he measured the length of the room adjacent to the great hall, 35 feet, and its width, 35 feet. And he said to me, this is the most holy place. All right, my friends, that gets us up through chapter 40, verse 4. And I will close with this and actually let you off the hook a little early today. If we believe that the Bible is the word of God, inspired Holy Spirit, inspired Word of God. And in fact, if Jesus himself confirmed, affirmed the divine authority and inspiration of the Old Testament, at that time was the Hebrew Bible, and promised the divine inspiration and authority of the what we now call the New Testament, then interestingly, that makes all those details important in some way that I'm not smart enough to know <laughs> I know we could dig in, right? There's, and some of it's symbolic, some of it's literal. I think it, I'm going to end with simply encouraging you with what I am encouraged with. God is a God of the details. We don't have to know them all. And we may not know him or his purposes or in whatever fully, but we can know surely who he is, that he's good that he loves you, and that he wants good things for you. I love you, my friends. Amen.
Amen.